Hello and welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast about design impact from Design Museum Everywhere. It's Thursday, September 24th, 2020. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of the museum, and I'm joined by your other host, the amazing Liz Pollack. She's our vice president. Hi, Liz. Hi, Sam. Today, we'll be chatting with two designers with a ton of experience designing medical products, which is a unique subset of product design with its own constraints and, of course, a lot of positive impact to be made. Our guest co-host this week is Scott Strapke, partner at Essential, a design, innovation, and strategy firm based in Boston. And our special guest is Richard Eiserman. He's head of design for Connected Care at Philips. Scott and Richard have collaborated a lot to bring new medical products to market. So I'm super excited to bring them together and for their conversation. And oh, of course, we'll also be sharing our weekly dose of good design. Before we dive in with Scott and Richard, Liz, Design Night Live was so awesome. Oh man, it really was. It was absolutely amazing. We had the best night, such an incredible crowd. Uh, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who participated. And of course, uh, you know, to all of our amazing presenters. I couldn't be more grateful for the support of our community and just the dedication uh, to design accessibility and education. Such a fun night. You know, we had demos and talking about design impact and I'm already scheming about the next time that, you know, that we're all going to come together. Um, So if you weren't there, you weren't able to attend, check out the recap on our website. And if you would like to support our mission of bringing the transformative power of design everywhere, just go to designmuseumeverywhere.org and you can donate today. Yeah. Oh, man. Big thanks from me as well uh, to everyone who supports us and attended. And yeah, I'm already looking forward to our next special virtual event, which feels like it's coming right up. I know it really does. It's just like from one amazing thing to the next. So our Workplace Innovation Summit uh, is coming right up. This will be our fifth year that we're holding the summit and we focus on the future of how and where we work. And wow, this year (laughs) is an important time to talk about the workplace. Uh, So much has changed with the pandemic that there's a lot to learn and a lot to discuss. So we'll be doing just that. Uh, This year, the summit will be virtual. So now folks from all over the world can attend. And instead of just one day, we're actually planning five days of keynote presentations, workshops, demonstrations, networking, and a lot of other really cool things. Yeah, I mean, I love our Workplace Innovation Summits, you know, the in-person ones that we've done over the years. And this one's gonna be even bigger, right? Because anyone around the world can take part. What I love is they're just so multidisciplinary. You know, you see and hear from designers, architects, interior designers, but then there's also business leaders, entrepreneurs, folks in real estate, people in HR. And I think that's really because A, we cover so many topics at the summit, and B, it really is all these fields and disciplines that come together to shape the workplace experience. So I really see it as like this one place where that group can come and share best practices and innovate together. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you're interested in learning more about the summit and attending, pre-sale tickets are available on our website. So just visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on events. Awesome. Okay, let's dive into this week's topic. If you've gone to the doctor recently or the hospital, you're surrounded by medical professionals, of course, but there's another layer of medical devices surrounding the entire experience from diagnosing tools and drug delivery devices to surgical instruments and rehabilitation equipment. Medical product design spans a wide range of functions and product typologies. 
with my background in product design, I can tell you bringing any product to market is complex, but medical product design is unique in that performance can mean life or death. And so these products can be incredibly complex, but still need to be used by a human, of course. And often the person using the product isn't necessarily the customer, right? Someone else is buying it. Uh, so there are many stakeholders here. Uh, to dig into it, I'm excited to bring on our guest co-host. Scott Strapke is the co-founder and co-leader of Essential Design, where he focuses on helping clients interpret technology to create breakthrough products and services. Scott and the team at Essential have a ton of experience in the medical product and service world, working at various scales, uh, from strategy to bring real products to the market, even robotics and just everything in between. Uh, while Scott isn't creating the next innovation, he also serves on the Design Museum's Board of Directors, so we're extra excited to have him here today. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, Sam. Nice to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. Uh, I wonder if we could start off, you know, it's such a complex, deep talk topic, and you've been working in this space for a while. I wonder if you can characterize sort of like the medical product design landscape, like what are the products that kind of create this ecosystem that we experience? And usually while we're experiencing it, we're not actually thinking about the design. We're thinking, oh, I'm at the doctor or I'm at the hospital. Yeah. What is that thing you're rolling over to me? I don't, <laughs> I don't like it. That's right. Um, so, uh, you know, in general, uh, the medical um, product design space is divided into two categories, devices um, and um, diagnostic equipment. So uh, in and each of those uh, categories can span um, from the equipment that you see in the hospital or in the healthcare setting uh, to equipment that you would see at home to um, devices that you uh, might uh, use or wear in a mobile setting to the mobile apps that um, you know are used are often accompanying these uh, pieces of hardware. Um, and then there's the control systems behind the scenes that are software products that, um, you know, are the app itself or the monitoring system that the uh, physician or, uh, or uh, other stakeholders are, um, are using. And then there's the service products that uh, we engage with, which is just, you know, how you interact with MGH or how you yeah, yeah. interact with the doctor and the, and the healthcare system around it. So. The product in, in our world is pretty widely described, but um, uh, the devices that you hold in your hand that you inject yourself with to the robots a surgeon is using to um, operate on you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we did a whole episode on telemedicine, which I thought was really interesting because, as you mentioned, these products aren't just in the, well, I, maybe the healthcare setting is coming into our own home. So what makes um, medical product design unique compared to, say, like, consumer product design? Yeah, there are mostly uh, similarities, yeah, I guess, you know. So, you know, we as, uh, you know, industrial designers and uh, UX designers and service designers are trying to understand user needs and uh, stakeholder needs across the system to figure out what the requirements are we ought to be designing to. Um, the difference between doing that in the consumer product space uh, and in the medical space is um, the regulatory environment you have to work in. So, you know, we have to uh, uh, meet safety and, um, and uh, uh, quality uh, standards that the FDA in the U.S. Uh, requires 
And if you're doing a device uh, that's meant to be uh, sold in Europe, there's the EU standards or anywhere else in the uh, world, there are a different set of standards you have to design to. So you have to understand those uh, requirements and, and, um, and, and test your designs uh, repeatedly, prove that they are safe and effective before you get the stamp of approval from the FDA in the US, for instance. Hmm. And is that something you, you have to go through, like to make that work? Is that on, on you as the design team to get that approval? And do you go through a submitting process? When we work for startups, we will engage in the very beginning, which is uh, all the uh, early design work that uh, um, you do from concept to, decide, to deciding what you're designing and what it needs to do all the way through. Uh, all the formative and summative testing that you need to supply uh, to the FDA evidence of, of its effectiveness uh, and help uh, our clients uh, with uh, regulatory agency filings. Most of the time we're working for an organization that has some part of that um, equation covered uh, themselves. Mm. So we may, um, let's say, design the research and maybe even be the folks that are uh, implementing the studies uh, uh, but uh, that might be the formative studies, not the summative studies, uh, or they may um, uh, want to control the design history file, which is everything you've thought of and, and how you addressed every issue along the way, uh, or we may be uh, managing that. So it, it really depends on you know, the, uh, com the breadth of the team, their experience, and what role that we're asked to play as a consulting office. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. You have such a strong practice at Essential around this work. And I'm curious, like, why? Like, is that something you intentionally were like, we're going to become experts in this space? It's going to become like one of our, you know, we're going to become subject matter experts. And what was the thinking around that? Well, the, the biggest reason is that uh, everybody wants to design products that are, you know, meaningful to others. And mm -hmm. the healthcare space is uh, just uh, a very important place to make the world better yeah so everybody in our organization wants to help you know their family their relatives you know their community um just live better lives right so uh working in the healthcare space is very rewarding it's very time consuming it, uh, the <laughs> products take forever to get to market compared to consumer products or you know machines that you might design in the consumer in the commercial space but uh um, it's, it's, it's very rewarding. It's complex, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of heavy, you know, physical, digital, um, service interaction work that, um, you know, it's just, we like to sink our teeth into. So I'd love to hear about just your process at Essential. Like when you get a new client for a medical device, what's the first step? And then, you know, where do you go from there? Well, it, it depends on how far our client has taken the, um, their idea uh, down the path. So some of our clients have, uh, have got well-established businesses and we enter the um, uh, picture when they say, you know, we've got this business, so we're not making um, the margin we hope to, there's new competitors, the landscape's changing, can you help us? Uh, uh, think through the different ways we can uh, reshape um, our offerings uh, and even the markets we're going after to, um, you know, position ourselves to be more valuable to our end users and stakeholders and more competitive as a business moving forward. 
so we'll do a lot of uh, stakeholder research, um, uh, market analysis, trend analysis, those kinds of things to you know really visualize uh, the opportunities and the and the landscape as the landscape is evolving over time. Um, uh, sometimes um, you know they'll be pretty far down a, uh, a development path and just you know uh, in, in encounter some obstacle that needs <laughs> specialty help. You know, sometimes it's um, uh, you know, adding uh, an, uh, an app or a digital experience to a physical one. We're doing a lot of that right now with um, uh, personal injectables. How do you get people to, you know, uh, comply to the regimen of injections that they need to be on once a day, once a week, every two weeks, once a month, and, and um, get them over the hurdles associated with, uh, you know, sticking a needle in yourself. Um, <laughs> so, you know, this, we, we might do, a, 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 you know, play a digital design role in those cases. So it's, it's super varied. You know, sometimes a client will say, what do you think we ought to do next? I'd love to just hear an example or two of some of these medical products that you and the team have worked on and, and kind of how you approach them. Well, we've designed uh, surgical robots, for instance, and uh, in in that case, um, when a week, uh, we are part of a huge uh, internal team with amazing um, uh, robotics expertise in the, you know, the delivery of what is really human performance enhancing um, uh, capabilities, uh, but the, these environments are super complex. Uh, so you know, our job was to really try to figure out the user interface of uh, using uh, these devices through in these procedures uh, in ways that would be as safe and as effective as possible as we're designing the environment that uh, the surgeon would be working in. So the the physical hardware they're interacting with, uh, way it adjusts to you know, long surgeries that take hours that could still be ergonomically comfortable and, um, you know, uh, adjustable to different size people and doing different things over different, you know, periods of time. Hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, that's like one kind of, uh, uh, you know, working uh, situation, I guess, that when we're doing home health products, which we'll speak about in more detail, I think, later, you know, it's uh, it's the way a visiting nurse might help set you up at home with this new device or appliance you might be you know wearing on your person, and uh, you know the ease with which you can uh, teach somebody something, how easy you can make them uh, remember how to do it correctly. Is the does the sensor that you wear uh, fit your body in a way that you know which one to put where? For mm -hmm. instance, mm -hmm. um, you know, as the are the instructions that you give them. Uh, the, the ones you stick to your refrigerator, the one because nobody reads the instruction manual in these cases. It feels like what you're working on is so complex. There, it's so multifaceted. And how do you put together the right team to work on a given prod project? Right? How many people are on it? Are they on it the whole time? Are they on it for a piece of it? Do they have an expertise? Like they're the ones that focus on the tech, or they're the ones that focus on. There's just so many elements to it, and I'm interested in how you put together the people that actually uh, design. Yeah, so um, again, it, it depends on uh, the role that we're asked to play as a consulting you know, um, uh, uh, agency inside of a larger organization. Uh, but if I take uh, the case where our client might be a startup and they may have 
uh, medical, uh, uh, you know, scientific officer, you know, uh, inventor of a technology uh, that um, maybe have uh, uh, maybe they taken to the um, breadboard level, the desktop benchtop unit that proves the uh, the 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 viability of the of the concept, the potential of the concept. Now we will assemble a team of uh, designers and engineers and and um, and researchers to um, uh, make sure that we're, I guess, number one, uh, listing all the questions that we need answers to, so that we mm-hmm. can um, design the right thing. Also, imagining everything that. Um, the FDA or any regulatory body is going to want to understand that uh, we did correctly along the way. Um, and then, uh, you know, do all the work it takes to focus in on, uh, you know, exactly the feature set that's going to make sense to, to launch with compared to what you may add to it over time. So that kind of the platform approach to uh, design. So the teams can be pretty diverse, but they're, um, it, they're, they're similar in that everyone's an amazing critical thinker and can play um, uh, each other's roles to some degree, but each of us is expert in an area mm-hmm. and uh, we'll take um, responsibility for that area as we engage uh, our colleagues. Yeah, last question, and it kind of goes back onto the team as well. And you alluded to this as medical products. You know, as designers, it's a great way to make a difference, make the world better, like make people healthier. And I wonder if you could just describe like a moment when maybe you or your team you know, put something out there and like saw it making a difference and like what that felt like. I think for, we're all chasing that impact as designers. We've um, done things and we, we do a, a, a ton of uh, wearable products for um, and in the sleep apnea space um, uh, for Philips, for instance. Mm. And we've done a lot of research around, you know, the um, before and afters of what, um, uh, the the meaning that these devices have had um, mm. uh, to the people that wear them and the benefits that um, uh, they've experienced in their relationships. Um, uh, so, trying to come up with like you know a particularly you know emotional one. I'm having a hard time. Gosh, that one's emotional right for now. me. I'm like, <laughs> what's more important than your relationship with your partner? <laughs> Uh, and your children and, yeah. and um, you know, and, and not scaring them when you're wearing this uh, appliance on your face. And, you know, when you uh, do your research in hospitals and you're walking around and talking to patients about the, you know, the, you know, life saving, you know, activities that just happened and the and the importance that that, you know, uh, the care provider um, made to them and their families. And, you know, that your their device that's uh, that's uh, hooked up to them right now is uh, keeping them. You know, up and running. You know, you feel pretty good. Yeah, that's a good feeling. That's awesome. Thank you, Scott. This is this is super helpful intro into medical product design. Listeners, be sure to check out the great work from Scott and his team at Essential. They're experts in medical device design and so so many other things, including consumer products and service design. Visit their website, EssentialDesign.com. And Scott, stick around. We'd love to have you join in on our conversation with Richard Eiserman from Philips Connected Care. If you like this podcast, then you will love Design Museum Everywhere. It's a museum that comes to you wherever you are. That's right. Design Museum Everywhere is all about making design education and inspiration accessible to everyone. Become a member today and join a global community of design thought leaders and change makers. 
everyone can be a designer. We can all appreciate and advocate for the transformational impact that design can have. Membership starts at just $3 a month, and you get access to virtual Design Museum live events, discounts, and our Design Museum magazine sent right to your doorstep. Just go to designmuseumeverywhere.org to join today, and your name will be listed in our next issue of Design Museum magazine which will be sent to Design Museum members all over the world. That's designmuseumeverywhere.org to be part of this global community. We're back and we're joined by a special guest. Richard Iserman has over 35 years of experience in the design world. He started in medical product design, but his very full career has taken him around the world and it cuts across brands and companies, consulting, now corporate again. Uh, he's worked for IDEO. Uh, he led the team uh, designing the Acela high-speed train, which I've enjoyed very much. Thank you for a great design. And uh, his consulting work has touched many clients, including many that you would recognize, including Apple and NTT. Uh, he's full circle back to medical product design with Philips as the head of design for Philips Connected Care. Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Really happy to be here. And uh, uh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're excited. Thank you. So, wow, I had such a fun time researching your career. Yeah, I don't get to say that for every guest, um, but I did. I really enjoyed kind of a, going through some design history and into some of the products I know and love. And so you've done a lot for clients. You've done a lot for the design industry. I wonder if we could start, you know, without, we can't tell your whole career story, but what drew you initially to product or to medical product design in your early part of career and now you're back? Well, it's funny after a, you know, a long and checkered career in design doing a whole bunch of different things, I found myself at a point where I really wanted to do something significant to um, help people really. And, um, you know, that, that was going to be probably in the medical field again, because it's, the logical place to go, um, mm -hmm. besides doing something, you know, for a charitable foundation or an NGO or something like that. And uh, Philips had always been a, you know, a beacon for design in the world. And um, they ended up finding me and we started having a conversation and it was like, this is a company that I would go work for. I'd love it if you could just tell us more about Philips Connected Care and, and the work that you're doing now. It goes from everything from sleep all the way through um, emergency care and intensive care unit uh, stuff to population health management. So that whole journey of what happens before you get into the hospital, like what are the things you can do to live a healthy lifestyle? Um, get better sleep. And that's a fundamental thing. I mean, the physicians we have on the team that talk about sleep and its importance, it's just crazy. You know, <laughs> you go, oh boy, I better get in bed now fast yeah. because <laughs> I'm not getting enough sleep. Uh, you know, so there's that aspect to it. Then, um, you know, the ICU is where, you know, the heavy stuff happens, you know, the intensive care unit. And uh, it's, it's quite daunting you know, because people who are in the ICU are really sick. Yeah. And um, if you end up in the ICU, you've only got about a 50% chance of getting out of the ICU alive. So you're, you're in bad shape when you're in there. And so the teams that are in there are under immense pressure. 
immense pressure and uh, we're doing everything we can to make their lives easier. So what we also do is, you know, we, we develop, of course, the monitors um, and they give you information about what's going on with the patient, heart rate, respiratory rate, um, oxygen saturation, otherwise known as SpO2, that little thing that they stick on the end of your finger yeah. that reads how much oxygen you have in your blood, um, all those kind of devices. And then that information is aggregated and interpreted, right? So it's, we do a lot of collecting of information. We help organize that information. We help the care team with planning what kind of intervention they want to make, and then we help them act on it. So it's COPA, COPA, right? Collect, organize, plan, and act, which is not dissimilar to the design process. Yeah, that makes that's right? amazing, and that's really the the what. I'm curious what role design plays in in Phillips in creating that kind of ecosystem. Well, it's fundamental um, mm -hmm. because we've got. Um, a thing called the quadruple aim that we're trying to achieve, right? The quadruple aim is a construct that is being used internationally for um, being able to assess the caliber of medical care. Right? Hmm. And so the objective is first to provide better health outcomes, right? So by and large, get people healthier. Uh, second is do it at a lower cost. Yes. Right. Third is provide a really good patient experience. And fourth is help prevent physician burnout and do so by giving them a better experience. So 50% of the quadruple aim is all about experience. Yeah. What do we do as designers except that? You know, that's that's all that we're <laughs> that's concerned the mission. about. That's the mission, right? Deliver a better experience for everybody involved. Yeah. So, um, you know, you start talking about services very quickly. All right. What is that experience like end to end as you go through um, a heart attack? Yeah. <laughs> what happens to you? You know, um, we make defibrillators. So that may have been used to revive you in the first place. Um, we make all the equipment that's in the ICU. We make all the stuff in the cath lab. Um, we do stuff in the general ward. There's all sorts of other monitors and now biosensors that we're putting on folks to send them home earlier because they recover better at home. Yeah, I'm super curious um, about how you, Richard, as a uh, design lead in the organization, keep teams on track with this uh, quadruple aim. It's easy to focus on, you know, better or cheaper it's hard to keep all four targets on the radar screen at once. For us, thankfully, the management team is really driving a customer first kind of approach and talking about us in a very personal way, talking to us in a very personal way to get us as a management team to really take it on board that we, we are personally responsible for these customers and for these patients and that we have to think about them first. So when that's the case, um, they call design because <laughs> they, you know, they wanna know what's going on with a situation. We tend to ask the right questions to understand what the problem is, who has the problem. And that's the first step in any design issue problem that you're facing is like, what's going on? 
where do we where do we even start with this? What is the issue that we need to solve for? So let's ask the right question and figure out: Do we need a new product, a new service, a new application, a new way of configuring the team? What is it? Maybe it's a combination of things. Maybe it's one is more important than the other. We don't know. Let's just ask the question and find out and do that analysis. And we've done so many uh, projects with you and with Philips, and, and I think to some of the times where we were trying to uh, qualify or quantify the value of our design on, over you know those different criteria, but you touch so many other parts of the business. Is there a way that you um, test early concepts or develop designs across those four uh, aims? Yeah, good question. Um, it's tough. Um, and it's especially tough now because we, you know, for the most of the part of most of the, of the COVID period, let's say to date, we have not been able to go into hospitals. We have not been able to interview physicians. Um, it's been hard to find patients. We've had to, part of the design problem is figuring out how are you going to get, uh, uh, evaluations of the things that you're thinking about. So we've had to like develop new ways of sending stuff out to people's homes and giving them cameras and le uh, letting them film themselves. And, oh you goodness. know, yeah, it's all the stuff that we would do in a lab normally, but we have to do it in a distributed way. So it's really, that becomes a design problem. Just like, again, getting the right question on the table. How do you do that in this situation? So that's, that's part of it as well. Right. And as far as the quadruple aim goes, we have to work in a very integrated way with the teams. You know, the, the strategy teams, we have a, a, a team where the leaders of strategy, clinical, innovation, marketing, and design all sit together and try and evaluate the various proposals from the businesses that we'd like to take to market and kind of say, okay, from the strategic side, this is the story. From the clinical side, this is the story. From the design side and the experience side, this is the story. How do we balance all these things to deliver the, the stuff that our customers need and that the patients um, ultimately need? You use this term story many times in that um, description of what you're doing. I find myself doing that uh, as well. It seems like our ability to um, help people tell stories, to embody those ideas, uh, to cre create those visions of the future and help people decide between alternate visions is you know, very important to you and, uh, and to what we do. Do you find the roles of the designers at Philips changing to be you know, more about storytelling? Absolutely. Um, there is a, you know, a real need for uh, the design of content as well, right? So there's all sorts of different channels to deliver content through how do you design that content to fit those channels or fit the messages that you're trying to um, deliver? That's one thing. Um, the other thing is just purely being able to boil these stories down into emotionally engaging narratives that allow people to understand very complex things. You know, a family is struggling to understand what's going on with their yeah. loved one. You know, they're frustrated. They've looked it up in the internet. They've got an idea about what the therapy should be. And, you know, if the doctor's delivering something else, they're like, well, why are you doing that? You know, it shouldn't, <laughs> you know? And so um, 
that is another area where we're using a lot of storytelling to help physicians communicate with families. I, I'd love to hear from from you about just some specific projects that you've collaborated on together. And, you know, Richard, if you could um, dive into that a little bit, I'd love to hear some examples. One area that we work, um, we have essential work a lot in is our sleep business. Um, that is a very competitive business. And um, we've been having our challenges in that area. And some of our competitors are, are, you know, really tough and they're winning market share. And the sleep business is an interesting business because it crosses over into, um, you know, from reasonable health to not such good health. Meaning um, there's a thing called um, obstructive sleep apnea, which is basically violent snoring, mm -hmm. right? Where... Um, the person is snoring so much that their tongue kind of falls back into their throat and interrupts sleep, uh, makes it very um, episodic during the night and can actually lead to cardiological problems. Mm, wow. Yeah, it's not a good thing. And, um, you know, sleep in general is just really good for your health. But if you happen to have OSA, you can be in trouble. And 80% of OSA goes undiagnosed. So that's a big challenge. And then, you know, the stuff that you have to deal with OSA, the devices and the therapies, they're pretty invasive because you have to wear them during the night while you sleep. Mm -hmm. And that's where we've turned to Essential with some really, really good results um, to help us understand what that kind of service needs to look like. And then to help design the specific kind of apparatus that, um, you know, holds the the ventilation kind of um, tips of things in the right position. And that's what's been so much fun about working with uh, Richard and the Phillips team over all these years is that, you know, Phillips is a true innovator. You know, they are going after problems like most companies don't go after the, the you know, the, the core issue, the, you know, the, the science behind it, the, you know, materials, technologies. Yeah. 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 But it, I mean, I love the, uh, this, this app that actually scans your face, you hold your phone up to your face and you kind of move your head around and it scans all the data. So a couple of questions to wrap up. In fact, I asked this question to Scott, um, I'm going to ask Richard, you the same question. Cause I, and you mentioned this, just the impact that these products can have. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a space where as a designer, you can really feel like, okay, I'm making a difference. And I yeah. wonder if you could share a moment when you, you know, whether it's a device um, or a service that you and your team put out in the world, and maybe you saw it impacting people and like what that felt like. Um, I think that'd be awesome to hear. Well, I mean, the most obvious one is, um, you know, the defibrillator stories that we hear. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look it up on the internet, you can actually see um footage of uh, there's one guy at a hockey rink i think in wisconsin or something and he just collapses on the ice somebody thankfully realizes what's going on and runs to get the defibrillator happens to know where it is which is an important thing yep and they they and it's one of ours and they pull it out and they they shock him and they revive him you know wow. and it saved his life Mm -hmm. You know, there's just no doubt about it. And the guy is so thankful and such an advocate for Phillips 
I mean, that, that's the tremendous thing about it is that, you know, you get lifelong kind of adherence. We've done um, uh, a kind of research-based project for a product that we're, we have um, coming out soon. It's in clinical testing right now. So yeah, soon, I don't know, soon yeah, in medical development <laughs> terms, right? Years, in other words. Yeah. Um, but it's for a neonatal intensive care unit, right? So NICU babies are, they can be born at four months, five months, you know, just absolutely weak, absolutely um, still trying to develop, but they're outside of the womb now. And so we have to provide an environment that helps them grow right and um thankfully the you know the work that we've done it's we've got a you know success rate of about 95 percent now so if if you're a NICU baby you're underweight preemie whatever um if you come to the NICU now you've got a very good chance of surviving mm. you know and that's huge yeah. and what we did for the project was we interviewed lots of families, lots of moms, dads, um, grandparents, mm -hmm. um, couldn't interview the babies, of course, but <laughs> not yet, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> um, and, um, clinicians and NICU nurses. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing to hear these stories and to experience through them, what it's like to, to be faced with that issue and the difference that we can make as a company. And it's incredibly, incredibly fulfilling. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, last question is for you both. And I, I'm curious to kind of like do some future casting here. And if you both could kind of give your visions of like, where is medical device going? Maybe let's say five to 10 years. Much of it is going home. Mm. You know, the, the cost pressure uh, to um, move people from the hospital uh, back to their home uh, in in the in, in this environment anyway in, in the U.S. is sure. so high uh, that um, uh, much of the work that we're doing is about uh, empowering uh, people to take care of themselves or or to empower uh, loved ones to be caregivers for for people uh, or to develop networks of um, of non medical uh, professionals to you know basically monitor. Uh, the folks in need in uh, in service networks. So you know the future is going to be about uh, how we can use uh, sensors, data, cameras, um, information, artificial artificial intelligence to uh, to diagnose and um, manage uh, issues before they become so critical that you find your way uh, to the hospital. Yeah, I mean, it's really a question of uh, going from a curative model to a preventative model, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we do that? And hospitals will likely become places where only the sickest people will go. Um, healthcare is going to be become much more distributed. Um, we have an incredible shortage of doctors and nurses and, you know, capable medical professionals worldwide. It's, it's, a, it's a global issue. And we need to be able to make the most with the small people <laughs> that we have that are left. Mm -hmm. And so we have to make them more available. Um, so whether that's telehealth, um, remote monitoring, um, 
using all the means at our disposal to, um, you know, get care to folks that need it. You know, um, we've been working with the with the VA, the Veterans Administration, quite extensively to um, develop care pods mm. that uh, could be taken to a VFW post in Bozeman, Montana. <laughs> you know, and set up there as a way of veterans to dialogue with doctors and get taken care of. Hmm. You know, um, that's that's hugely important. And the other aspect is going to be personalization. You know, the more data we have, the more information that we have, the more targeted therapies we'll be able to give. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you both. And thank you, Richard, for joining us and sharing your experience and expertise. It's great. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Sure. Listeners, you can learn more about Connected Care Solutions from Philips on their website. They have some great videos that I enjoyed. Uh, visit thinkconnectedcare.philips.com. Now it's time for our weekly dose of good design, where we share examples of good design that have impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I will start us off this week. Ah, boy, this is a tough one. So this week, uh, well, I know we're recording this a bit earlier than usual. Uh, by the time this airs, it'll be a few weeks since the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Uh, but right now it's very fresh and it's totally heartbreaking. So uh, Chadwick Bozeman died on August 28th at the age of 43 from colon cancer, a disease he suffered for four years without the public knowing. And so while he had some of the most iconic black roles that you can have, including Jackie Robinson in 42 and Thurgood Marshall and Marshall, he was battling this disease. And you all know I love the Avengers movies uh, and Chadwick Bozeman, his portrayal of Black Panther was epic. And as he describes it, it was a sea change moment you know, superhero film with a predominantly black cast, and he was the star. Um, so if you haven't seen Black Panther, please watch it. It simultaneously gives like a future uh, vision, but it also takes this amazing, serious approach to things like racial identity, slavery, colonialism. There's even a very important scene in a museum, which I think about a lot. Um, so check that out. Uh, at the center of the film, Bozeman, he's incredible. And so uh, I guess my weekly dose of good design is sort of two things. One is awesome to see, you know, as a young, as a white kid, right? There were so many heroes around me that I could just be like, I have heroes. Um, but uh, Chadwick Boseman and Black Panther gave black kids, you know, a hero to look up to. And I know it was extremely meaningful for them uh, to have that. The other part, I guess my real uh, weekly dose, though, is after the announcement of his passing, these young black boys and girls set up these memorials to him with their action figures. And so picture like a ring of their Avengers action figures and Black Panther is laying in the middle and the kids are doing the Wakanda Forever sign like the arms crossed across their chest. And it's very moving. And you can really get the sense that like they understand the moment and that they'll miss their hero. So yeah, that's my weekly dose. Yeah, such a good one, Sam. Important one. Thank you. Um, so mine uh, is is a, a kind of a 
just a company that I've been following called uh, Messiah & Co. And they make and sell handmade furniture. And what caught my eye originally was the design of these just beautiful chairs. But what kept my interest was discovering that they are all made out of renewable hardwoods and that the chair seat and back are completely hand woven. And, you know, they really see these pieces of furniture as unique and special. Uh, and I think at this point, many of the listeners know that my father is a forester. So it's of particular interest to me that uh, the company focuses on sustainability through reforestation and sustainable forestry, which I absolutely love and I'm all about. Uh, so I, uh, I don't have one of these chairs yet, <laughs> but every day, because I'm also now getting like you know, instant me or messages on uh, social media about them. Like they're, you know, sponsoring to me because they've seen me like <laughs> click on it enough times. So, I mean, I'm, I'm so close to getting one of these. All right, Scott, you are up. Well, I don't know if this is a, uh, is okay, but I'm going to do a commercial for one of our clients. Right, please. Um, we were approached by a woman who, um, was a makeup artist. Um, and, um, she had, was just contracting Parkinson's disease and um, was having a hard time putting um, uh, makeup on her clients and herself uh, with uh, tremors that she was experiencing in her hands. So she had uh, some ideas about how to make tools that would be more uh, ergonom ergonomically um, like appropriate for uh, folks that didn't have the dexterity that uh, they may have had before. Uh, so we, we helped uh, her and, and, and Guide Beauty uh, develop the first um, eye makeup application tools uh, for women who um, just don't have the manual dexterity that used to have so they can still look good and feel good as they, as they age. And I have to say that, um, you know, the, the client relationship was uh, fabulous. This woman's vision was amazing. And um, the, the latitude they gave us to, you know, mm -hmm. embody her vision and help build this, uh, this brand and this company was just, uh, just a ton of fun. So uh, uh, I, I guess uh, uh, as, a, as a little, um, what's inspiring me about design, it would be uh, the, the, the vision of a, of a woman to reach beyond her expertise and be yeah. a designer herself and to engage awesome. others in the mix. It was just, it's just been fantastic. Oh, it sounds amazing. Yeah. And it's come up often on the podcast about just the importance of great clients and, you know, visionary clients. So that's a great, sounds like a great story behind that. Awesome. Thank you both. Those are great. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. And big thanks to Scott Strapke and Richard Iserman for dropping by this week. We'll post links to some of the stuff we discussed today. Visit us at designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the recap from Design Night Live and grab your pre-sale tickets for our Workplace Innovation Summit coming up on November 9th through the 13th. With pre-sale tickets, uh, you can save money. So be sure to take advantage of that. Yeah, the summit is going to be awesome. I can't wait. Also, find us on social media and say hello. We're always, we always love hearing from you and hearing your ideas for future episodes. We also have some ideas for live shows coming up that we'll share on social as well. So follow us too. And you'll hear all about it. Uh, so on Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. And we're on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Uh, we're super easy to find on all these places. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. It's so easy to share this show every Thursday morning with our growing community. Join us, subscribe, and you'll always get the latest episode in your feed. Uh, And you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was written and edited by me, Sam Aquilano, and produced by Ryan Flom. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. You know we love our color orange. For Liz Pollack and the whole team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, everyone.